0: Hey, y'all, this is Sam's Aunt Daddy. This week on the show, Los Angeles Times politics reporter Melanie Mason and producer and reporter for NPR member station KPCC in Los Angeles, Leo Duran. All right, let's start the show.
1: You've got quite the title, (laughs)
0: Leo.
1: <laughs> I knew I need to tighten up my resume. I like it. Hey, y'all, from NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Happy weekend to my listeners and to my guests. Two wonderful Angelinos in studio with me right now Melody Mason, staff writer at the LA Times covering 2020, and Leo Duran, producer and reporter for KPCC's news and culture show Take Two. We're joined in studio uh, by Taylor Swift today. An oldie but a goodie, huh? <laughs> so, Taylor Swift is the woman of the hour this week because she just released her new album, Lover. But um, she also has been talking this week about how she is going to re-record her previous albums over a record label dispute involving Super manager Scooter Braun. It's really weird.
2: What I'm really curious about is... Like how this all works. I was trying to read news stories about this, and you're diving deep into this, like, well, of how the music industry functions, who gets money from where.
1: Yeah. A lot of musicians, when they're really young, starting out, they sign these contracts in which they actually don't own their stuff. They don't own the words, they don't own the music, these recordings along with someone else. Uh, not gonna go through all of the drama, but Taylor Swift's old label, Big Machine, was sold to Ithaca Holdings, which is an umbrella company owned by Scooter Braun, celebrity manager to folks like Kanye West, Justin Bieber, and Ariana Grande. Uh, Once the masters of Taylor's songs ended up in Scooter Braun's company, Taylor said, no, I don't like him, because he was involved with the Kanye West-Taylor Swift beef. So now Taylor says to make sure that Scooter Braun gets no shine off of her, she's gonna go back in the studio and re-record songs like these.
3: If I were Scooter Braun, I would be sleeping with one eye open because like the Taylor Swift stands on the internet like nothing like the cruelty of teenage girls. Yeah. So Well also
1: when you hear this song, you don't wanna hear it re-recorded. It's kinda perfect, just like it is. All right. We're going to start the show as we do every week. I'm going to ask my two panelists uh, to, to describe their week of news in only three words. Uh, Melanie, you're up first.
3: All right. I went alliterative this time. Okay. So it was swingy suburban sentiments. Um, I like that. Yeah, (laughs) not the easiest to say, but it Uh looks good on the page, which is how I originally thought of it. Uh So, first of all, I mean, I think I want to start with the so the L.A. Times, Mm -hmm. um, my employer, and USC came out with a new poll this week Uh um, that was taking a sort of temperature of sentiments towards President Trump, particularly among Republicans. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the figure that stood out for me was that there are, you know, Donald Trump has absolutely remade the Republican Party as in his image. Mm -hmm. Folks are moving more towards these more populist stances that he has, Mm -hmm. but There are 12% of Republicans that said that they would actually be unhappy if they saw him reelected.
1: And they told that to a pollster.
3: They told that to a pollster. So
1: more than one in 10 Republicans don't want their guy to win re-election.
3: Right. And I mean, granted, I mean, so is 12% like an overwhelming figure? No. But remember, he did not win by blowout margins, particularly, mm-hmm. in the, you know, when we're looking at the electoral college. And so 12% yeah. could be a pretty significant figure. He can't lose figure. people. No, he cannot lose. He can't lose his people. Though yeah. the question is, can he expand? He yeah. can't He can't just be sort of holding on. Yeah. Um, and so I read that 12% figure and thought, hey, I think I know people like that. And in fact, mm. I was down in Texas in the Dallas-Fort Worth suburbs not too long ago uh-huh. and met, I think, one woman who sort of represented this phenomenon. This woman, her name is Vanessa Steinkamp. She's a mom. She's a government uh, teacher um, in the Fort Worth suburbs. And she calls herself a lifelong Republican. Huh. And she told me, I don't really feel like there's a place for me in this Republican Party anymore. Why does she feel that way? So I think that part of it is that she is sort of seen as this kind of old school fiscal conservative, maybe sort of chamber of commerce Republican, Mm -hmm. doesn't love that the fact that the uh, deficit has been exploding under this administration, doesn't love maybe some of the other bigger government policies. But I think the bigger thing and the thing that I want to follow is that she doesn't like the tone. She doesn't mm-hmm. love the presidential tweets. She doesn't love what she sees as a really polarized, toxic political environment. Yeah,
1: it's a new fight every day.
3: Well, it's, you know, you wake up and you grab your phone every morning. What and did it's he like say now? What are we talking about now? <laughs> yeah. And that can be exhausting. Yeah.
1: So I've been seeing some reporting this week um, that seems to indicate that Trump and his team know that he might have a problem with those types of folks. They're launching some, like, coast-to-coast campaign for suburban women?
3: Exactly. And so you saw, perhaps, on Twitter this week, there was this hashtag, Women for Trump. And that's because um, this week, the Trump team had events all across the coast in states like Florida and Wisconsin and Texas, um, targeted specifically to suburban women. And so what that tells me is that the Trump team themselves knows that this could be potentially a vulnerability. And they're trying to shore up um, some of these Voters yeah. now?
1: What, you know, I have bigger questions about what it means to be a suburban voter right now. I think typically we have thought of those people as relatively affluent white soccer moms. But in lots of suburbs outside of Dallas or even in SoCal and Orange County, they're changing, right?
3: I think the face of the suburbs is changing. Yeah. So you're seeing sort of you can just look at the demographic changes, and there's you know various types of demographic changes. There's racial and ethnic changes. Mm-hmm. That a lot of these areas are becoming more diverse. In um, for example, the Dallas Fort Worth suburbs that I was following, there's a much uh, a much bigger Asian American population, particularly Indian American oh, population, which was really interesting to me. Um, but I also think that another So there's a confluence. There's like lots of factors, right? But I think a key factor is not just new folks coming in, Uh but changing attitudes of the folks that are already there. And Uh so we see in places like Orange County, which has now officially gone blue.
1: After being red for so So long. As a lifelong (laughs) Californian. (laughs) That's crazy to me that you
3: like Orange County, like home of Reagan Republicanism is now officially have more registered Democrats than Republicans.
2: What is this going to mean for all the down ballot races? Because if I'm a Republican on the state level, it it hasn't looked good in the past couple of years.
3: I think that there's a lot of nervousness. And in fact, what we've seen in places like Texas and others is actually this flood of Members of Congress and others announcing they're going to retire. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, particularly
3: among Republicans.
1: Will Hurd, Texas Congressman, he's stepping down. There's been like what four announcements so four far? Four
3: Texas yeah. Republicans so far who in Congress. Um, and Will Hurd's a great example. He actually represents a border district, so that's yeah. a district that's kind of always been and a majority-minority district, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. Um, but then, for example, Kenny Marchant, who represents the Dallas-Fort Worth suburbs. I mean, this is a guy, founding member of the Tea Party Caucus, right? Hmm. Like, kind of a real, re- you know, like old-school Republican. Um, won his races by thirty points. You know what he won by last time? What? Three points.
2: Oof. Wow.
3: So I think that they're seeing this trend line. So there's a real narrowing in some of these districts. And I think you have both the new folks coming in with uh, new types of politics, but also the changing attitudes of folks that are already there. And I think suburban women are really going to be this key demographic. And clearly the Trump team knows it too, if that's who, who they're targeting in this outreach.
1: Yeah, yeah. Which party is more divided right now, Democrats or Republicans? Yeah. I mean, it, 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 we uh, we see every day on cable news like the 47,000 Democratic candidates for president fighting with each other. <laughs> uh, and like at the top, at least, the Republican Party seems to have like one guy in charge. But it sounds like you're saying if you peel back that top layer... There's
3: some cracks. I think there are some cracks. I think, first of all, it is the people who identify as Republicans, for the most part, they're all in with this president. It's, you know, he has consistently had very strong approval ratings with Republicans. The question is, is who's identifying as Republicans Mm. now? And is he losing people who maybe were on the margins or saw themselves as maybe moderates or centrists that just don't see themselves in the place of that party? Um, I think with Democrats, obviously, yeah, you're in the middle of a primary and everyone is mad at each other
1: and (laughs) everyone's everyone's fighting. fighting. (laughs) And
3: they're going to be fighting for a long time and we should all just kind of like lock Get ready for (laughs) for a lot of food fights. But I think that if you're looking another sort of data point in that L.A. Times poll that I mentioned Uh is if you're looking at the enthusiasm gap of those who want to see the president reelected as opposed to those who don't, it's the latter category that has a much larger enthusiasm Mm,
1: gap. I hear you you're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two guests, Leo Duran, producer and reporter for KPCC's Take Two, and Melanie Mason, staff writer at the L.A. Times, covering 2020. All right, Leo, you have three words?
2: Yeah, my three words are mostly numbers. It is <laughs> okay. 10 is
1: 86th. So this, 10 is eighty six.
2: Yeah, this is referring to Title 10. This yes. is a program that was started in 1970 by President Nixon. Mm-hmm. And what it does, it helps provide low-cost or sometimes free family planning health services. Think things like birth control or cancer screenings and the like. Mm-hmm. So just last week, Planned Parenthood, that massive organization, announced it is bouncing out of that. It used to be a very big recipient of Title X money. It provided a lot of things around the country to people. But the problem is that the Trump administration changed the rules on how that money is issued out. So the difference now is that if you get Title X money, if somebody wants an abortion or has questions about an abortion, Mm -hmm. doctors can no longer refer them to where to get one. Hmm. Part of the issue here is that, you know... Uh, Planned Parenthood never actually uses any federal money for abortions itself. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a federal rule itself. Yeah. No one can do that. It was just a matter of them telling people, hey, here's where you can get one if you need it. So instead of actually following these rules, Planned Parenthood decided
1: it is going to stop accepting Title X money. And more than $286 million has gone to fund Title X this fiscal year. And about $60 million of that goes to Planned Parenthood every year. So, what happens if this money goes away from Planned Parenthood's budget? Are we going to see clinics close? I was reading somewhere that they might begin to start charging copays to patients
2: yeah, so some in some cases, Planned Parenthood is sort of the only game in town or only game in the state, yeah, in terms of a patient, uh, actually, most people probably don't realize that they're receiving Title X money. huh Maybe now people will ha- start having to pay a copay yeah. when they didn't expect it, or maybe it's something subtle like longer wait times in doctors' offices
1: huh. What I wonder, you know, seeing the headlines around Planned Parenthood this week and abortion being a keyword and Title 10 being a keyword in the usual political cycle, I could see this being the issue. But going into like this next long campaign season, it feels like this issue is getting less traction than immigration or than just like whatever Trump is tweeting. Or Greenland's yeah, buying right? it. <laughs> Like this – this is usually the, uh, an issue that is a real winner for the GOP, and it doesn't seem like it's getting traction for them this week.
3: I mean, I think it is. It's this flood of news, right? Yeah. So it's like, where does everyone draw their attention? And I also think that because there were so many headlines throughout the course of the Trump administration of they're thinking about doing this, they're getting closer to doing this. That's very true. Now Congress wants to do this. That I almost feel, look, as a news consumer myself, when I saw the news this week, my first sort of reaction was, how is this different from what I've read before? Well, That's now it's true. actually happening. But yeah. there's an exhaustion factor, right? For, yeah. I think. News consumers, and I'm somebody who works in the news. Exactly.
1: My question, bigger picture, uh, is kind of existential about Planned Parenthood. They've had some drama for a while, Leo. I know that they had a new president, and then she stepped down. What is the backstory with the state of Planned Parenthood as this has happened? Yeah.
2: So it used to be headed by Cecile Richards, daughter of Ann Richards, that yeah. famous politician from Texas. Mm-hmm. So Cecile retired. And in her place, they hired Dr. Lena Wen, who comes from Baltimore. She was a health planning uh, commissioner there. Yeah.
1: And this was a big departure because Richards was like a big political fundraiser, person. political fighter. Yeah. And this new head, she was more of just a doctor and wanted to focus right. on health care and not fight as much about politics. Right. It checked a lot of boxes in general. I mean, she was a person of color. Yeah. She worked in the inner
2: city. Um, she was a medical doctor. Mm-hmm. I think the problem is that, as she put it in the New York Times, she said, it seems like Planned Parenthood really wanted somebody who's more of a political fighter, and I'm not that kind of person. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cecile Richards, she was a major fundraiser. That was one of the issues, um, according to some reports, that wasn't Dr. Wen's wheelhouse. Huh. She wasn't that kind of person to wine and dine those big moneyed people. And yeah. that's really kind of one of the big jobs of a CEO or president. Especially, it's not really the leader. Yeah. It's, a, it's a fundraiser. Yeah. But
3: I also think that this represents this real philosophical divide right now among both pa- backers of Planned Parenthood and also of abortion rights generally, which is I think that Dr. Wen and others were trying to emphasize, you know, Planned Parenthood is a health care provider and abortion is one thing that yeah. they do, yeah. but there's cancer screenings and reproductive health and just a lot, for a lot of women, it's just kind of like your health care. Yeah. Um, and they want to sort of play that up. And then I think that there was other sides that said, no, no, this is a fight about abortion. And we can't shy away from that. Right. Mm -hmm. And they really, I think, wanted to lean into that. You hear this a lot in the Democratic primary that a lot of folks on the left want the candidates not just to sort of talk around abortion, but sort Mm -hmm. of talk right at it. Mm -hmm. And so I think that there's this real divide on the left of like, how much do they lean into the abortion debate and say, no, we are really going to be defenders of abortion rights, as opposed to how much do you sort of see it as a holistic health care issue? Yeah,
1: it's it, it is interesting to hear both of you talk about these two Separate stories, but they seem connected. I think what I hear you both saying is that with the GOP and with Planned Parenthood, there's maybe some cracks in the armor and some philosophical differences about what the organization sh- should be. And I think the next year before the November 2020 election, I think we're going to see more of those cracks and more conversations about. What happens to them?
2: <laughs> I mean, I feel like this is all of America right now. Who are we and what do we represent? Huh. I don't know. can apply to so many different know. concepts. Oh, my it's
1: goodness. It's like we've been in
3: a constant existential crisis
1: <laughs> for, like, years now. That's, and it's fun. It's fun. Totally I mean, great. Everything's great. Everything's fine. <laughs> Coming up, we're going to talk about the existential uh, fight over milk. <laughs> there are dairy wars uh, for years now. I'm so
2: excited about this.
1: <laughs> for years now, sales of cow milk have been declining while sales of all other kinds of milk are up. Cashew milk, pistachio milk, oat milk, banana milk. We're going to taste test the alternatives uh, to see if they're actually good. And we're going to also talk about what in the world is happening with milk milk. That's after the break. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We'll be right back.
0: Support for NPR and the following message come from Rothy's. Rothy's are the everyday flats for life on the go. Stylish, versatile, fully machine washable, and they go with everything from yoga pants to dresses and skirts. Best of all, there's zero break-in period thanks to their woven design, seamlessly crafted from recycled water bottles. Plus, Rothy's always come with free shipping and free returns and exchanges. Find out why BuzzFeed called them their forever shoes at rothys.com slash minute. Support also comes from Discover Card. You check things all the time, like your email or social media. But Discover asks, what about checking something as important as your credit score? Well, Discover makes it quick and easy with their credit score card, which is free for everyone, even if you're not a customer. See your FICO credit score and other important information. And once you know your score, you should check to see if your current credit card is the best fit for you. Learn more at discover.com slash credit scorecard. Limitations apply. The yield curve has inverted. In the past, this has been an indicator that a recession is on its way. But will this time be different? Listen to The Indicator from Planet Money, NPR's daily economics podcast to find out.
1: We are back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two guests, Melanie Mason, staff writer at the L.A. Times, covering 2020, and Leo Duran, producer and reporter for KPCC's Take Two. Leo, Melanie, question for you. Yes. Do you put milk in your coffee?
2: I do not. I go black.
1: Okay. Bold choice. Yep. I do that usually, but sometimes I'll have oat milk in my coffee. Um, I bring this up because I discovered this week that there is a new milk alternative that you can buy in Whole Foods. Banana milk. It joins the ranks Banana of ball. almond milk and cashew milk and That's... pea milk and pistachio milk and oat milk. And I have so many questions. What? 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 <laughs> <laughs> so today for our segment called I have so many questions. We're going to get to the bottom of the milks. So the Dairy Farmers of America, they reported recently that milk sales were down in 2018 by more than a billion dollars. And at the same time, all these alternative milks, they're like on the rise. The Plant-Based Foods Association says that nut and plant milk, that market, it grew 9% in 2018. I have a lot of questions about this. I really, really do. To find some answers, I called up my friend Dan Pashman. He hosts a podcast called The Sporkful. It's all about food. And we tried to make sense of the milk wars. And we also taste tested some of these faux milks. Uh, I was in Los Angeles at NPR West. Uh, Dan was not in the same room with me, but I got him on the line. Here's our chat. Dan Pashman, hi, how are you? Hey, Sam. Good to talk to you. So, Dan, I want to ask you some bigger picture questions about the state of the milk and the faux milk industry. And I think like my larger question, as someone who has just discovered he is kind of lactose intolerant, um, why are humans so obsessed with the milk of other animals, the milk of cows? Other species don't do this. And from my research, we don't actually need it.
4: Yeah, no you you're 100% right. It, it it is an odd thing and in fact most of the humans on the planet are lactose intolerant. So uh I you believe are it. edging yeah, you Sam are edging your way towards normalcy in fact. Tell <laughs> my mother, please. Um, <laughs> r- <laughs> Exactly. But, you know, um, and so so those of us who can drink milk are actually the ones who had, you know, who are mutants. We had a genetic mutation and that's why we're able to drink milk into adulthood.
1: So then if that is the case, how did we get to the point where milk is such a big part of our psyche? We're, we've convinced ourselves we need this stuff. Marketing.
4: And milk has been marketed for its health benefits for Hundreds and hundreds of years, against all odds, really, because not only is it not really something that we need, but also for a very long time before pasteurization
1: and refrigeration, drinking milk was very dangerous. Huh. Um, But this has been changing for a while now. I did some digging this week. Uh, U.S. per capita consumption of milk has been declining years. And at the same time, these what I call faux milks, that industry has been getting bigger. What is the reason this switch is happening so quickly? Because for decades, milk is dominant. And then like the last decade or so, whoop, everything changes.
4: Right. It's a combination of factors. It is uh, more people going uh, vegan, dairy being attributed to certain negative health outcomes. And uh, you know, depending on the health outcome you're talking about, the science may be stronger or weaker, but there's an, an idea out there that dairy is causing various health issues for folks. Um, and then there's also just that cereal consumption is also going way down, um, partly because of people going against gluten and against grains and carbs, and also partly because we don't tend to eat our breakfasts sitting down at a table anymore. And so uh, a bowl of cereal and milk is just not the way more and more Americans are eating their breakfast. I want a so breakfast on the cereal go. Co- Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And so I think these things are all coming together to push us in a direction of less dairy
1: milk, more Faux milk. I think it's time to taste some milks. Let's do it. Can I tell you what I have here in studio with me? Yeah, please. I have Oatly oat milk, barista edition. I have organic three trees, pistachio nut milk. Ooh. <laughs> and I have what's really newly ascended. I just heard about it this week. Banana milk, Muala banana milk, uh, dairy-free, nut-free chocolate banana milk made with bananas and cocoa. Ooh. So you're gonna hear me now open up all these things and I'm gonna just put.
4: And I'm I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna ride shotgun with you for this, Sam. I
1: got myself some Oatly. Do you have coffee to put it in or are you just gonna drink it straight? I'm just gonna drink it straight. I wanna know oh, exactly what it tastes man. like. I'm, I'm doing it. Oh my goodness. <laughs> well I'm gonna pour out a little coffee into one glass. All right. All right, this is some iced coffee adding a little dash of oat milk. That's smooth. What do you think? I can taste that it's not quite dairy, but like the mouthfeel is quite nice and, and, and smooth.
4: It definitely tastes oaty. You know, if, if you ever just taken a couple rolled oats right out of a container and popped them in your mouth, that's kind of what it tastes like. I mean, it, it's sort of like if you ever make oatmeal um, with a lot of liquid in it so it gets a little bit
1: soupy. It's that, yeah. It, it, it tastes like it's the a liquid in that yeah. bowl of soupy oatmeal. All right. Oat milk, thumbs up or thumbs down? I give it a thumbs up. same Z's. All right, now we're going to do pistachio milk. Do you, I don't, you might not have pistachio milk on you. I don't have it with me, right. but I'm, I'm curious to hear what okay. you think of it. All right. With the coffee. No. Not working for uh-uh. you? uh Can you describe it? It's thinner than the oat milk, so it doesn't feel like milk. Mm. And the essence of pistachio is such that it just needs to be pistachio ice cream. It can be nothing else. Right. Ooh, can't do this. <laughs> So, I don't have pea milk in studio to try it right now, but like, what do you think about it? It, It's just like 12 year old Sam is like, haha, saying pea milk. That's funny. Yeah.
4: (laughs) Right. I mean, and you know, there's a whole big controversy because the dairy industry does not want all these alternative milks to be able to call themselves milks. And they're trying to stick this entire other category of milk with the term nut juice. Oi. So, yeah, which clearly was made up by people who did not want anyone to like that product.
1: Yeah, no one should say Um, the words nut and juice together.
4: But I think that the pea milk is interesting because, you know, pea protein is a key ingredient in a lot of the alternative burgers, like the Impossible Burger, the Beyond Meat Burger. But, like, you know what another really good way to get pea protein in your body is, Sam? Eat some peas. That's right. Eat peas. (laughs) Like, I I feel like a lot of these turning foods into beverages – you lose something.
1: Oh, yeah. Or, like, turning foods into other foods. Even the whole question of making vegetables into fake beef patties. Can't we just eat vegetables and enjoy vegetables? R- right. R- I agree. Vegetables are delicious. I'm pouring out some more iced coffee to add some banana milk in. I'm shaking it up. Oh, it clots in a weird way with the iced coffee. It's oh. N- uh, I, don't, I don't like the visual. Like, I'm trying to shake it up together so it doesn't look like a sandbox. Oh, Lord. <laughs>
4: Oh, it's dessert. It's too sweet. Mm. Bananas have a lot. Bananas are very sweet. It's a chocolate banana smoothie. Does it have added sugar, or is that just the
1: sugar from the bananas? Ten grams of sugar per one cup uh, serving. That's a lot. This is just a smoothie. Let's call it what it is. Yeah. Interesting. I will say of the three milks that I've tried today, banana, oat, and pistachio, oat is the clear winner.
4: What's interesting about all of these, though, Sam, is that they all have a little bit of salt they have a little bit of savoriness to yeah that. what's that about When you get a little bit of that salt it kind of just wets your whistle it it, it wets your appetite it makes you want to drink more of it which is kind of really what they, they want when they're when they're engineering these things in a lab their concern is like how can we get people to drink or eat more and more of this
1: yeah yeah so when they add salt that, that happens i mean i'm gonna have a nice oat milk cocktail on ice tonight you know it could be really good?
4: Would ah, be like a white Russian. An oat milk, white Russian. I could see some, some cinnamon in there. Oh
1: yeah. Oat milk horchata. Oh yes. That, that could is be good. Brilliant. Dan Pashman, lover of all things milk, dairy or not. Uh thank you for your time today. I appreciate it. Thanks, Dan. Take care. Thanks again to Dan Pashman. You can hear all of his podcast, The Sporkful, wherever you get your podcasts. He has a recent one with Bill Nye on whether salting your water helps it boil faster. He has another episode on the link between jelly and pop music. All right, back here now with my two guests, Melanie Mason, staff writer at the LA Times covering 2020. And Leo Duran, producer and reporter for KPCC's Take Two, through the magic of radio, I have uh, appeared some banana milk for you both to try.
3: (laughs) It's materialized
1: in front of us. Taste test. How do you like it?
3: I feel like I want to do this like a wine tasting, like I'm trying to get the nose to bouquet.
1: Yes, yes. You tell me it's banana milk. It doesn't taste like bananas at all.
3: Oh, I taste
2: banana. I'm not getting it.
1: It just tastes like a banana chocolate smoothie. Yeah. Right? This is not milk. Maybe my taste no. buds are yeah. whacked. because
3: Also, I, I don't feel taste like much. drinking a whole glass of this. You yeah. would, it's it the, would kill me. It's
1: a, just, <laughs> it's a lot. It's
3: a lot of, it's a lot it's of sweetness. A lot. Can I see anyway, the bottle? Can I see what's you in You can it? see the
1: bottle, yes. Would you put this in your coffee? And and, you can put anything in coffee. Well,
3: that's true. <laughs> but that's really if you wanted like the like, mocha licious, caramel me caramel, <laughs> yeah. like, like, sugar yeah. bomb kind of coffee. And yeah. I, as a coffee purist, sort of. Judge you for that, but um, I don't know. I it's
1: I'm not in very it. sweet. Also, like, don't lie to me. This is not milk. Don't call it milk.
2: Right, I'm but mad for a about Long that. time, so I've been a long time vegetarian. I'm not anymore. Okay. I mean, we had to
1: use some sort of phrasing <laughs> to say like,
2: hey, this is what you can use instead of dairy. So you need almond milk. Here you go. You can't do regular milk.
1: I am team oat milk.
2: Why do you like oat milk? milk, It
1: feels the most like actual dairy in your mouth.
2: Why is that important to you that it has to feel feel like dairy? I'm used to
1: that throat coat. (laughs) That that nice whole milk half and half throat coat. (laughs) Anyway, uh, it's time for a break. When we come back, my favorite game, who said that? No matter which of you wins, you both get to keep this banana milk. (laughs) You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We'll be right back
2: support for this podcast and the following message come from APM presenting the podcast Educate. In a special episode of Educate, reporter Emily Hanford investigates how a flawed theory of reading may have affected the literacy of millions of children throughout the U.S. It's an episode for parents, policymakers, educators, and anyone who cares about the education of the next generation. Search for Educate wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who specialize in issues such as depression, stress, anxiety, and more. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment at your convenience. Get help at your own time and your own pace. Schedule secure video or phone sessions plus chat and text with your therapist. Visit betterhelp.com/minute to learn more.
3: Let's play some games everybody. I'm Ophira Eisenberg, host of NPR's Ask Me Another. Are you looking for the answer to life's funnier questions? Zamboni? That is correct. Every week we blend comedy plus a special celebrity interview. Jim Gaffigan.
0: I've always done acting, I just have never gotten roles.
1: Listen and tell your friends. We are back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two guests, Leo Duran, producer and reporter for KPCC's Take Two, and Melanie Mason, staff writer at the L.A. Times covering 2020 on a scale of one to 12. Melanie, as a campaign reporter, how tired are you?
4: <laughs> oh,
3: God. I mean, I would say 10, but I also know that I have all of next year.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just just trying. To... Exactly. Yeah. The scale is yeah. so out of whack. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've got something to help with your tiredness here in studio right now. It is time for my favorite game. I'm so excited because you both are playing it for the first time. Let's play Who Said That?
2: This game. Who
3: said
1: that? So simple yet so hard. I, know, I feel like I'm gonna lose. Not with that well with that attitude, of course you will.
2: <laughs> Maybe uh, I'm just hustling you both. Yeah,
1: yeah, the game is really simple. I share a quote from the week. You have to guess who said it or the story that I'm referring to. The winner, per usual, gets absolutely nothing except for bragging rights. Prior. And this week, the rest of that bottle of banana milk. It's already half gone. So. <laughs> wow, y'all are thirsty. You ready? <laughs> yes. First quote. Sounds like someone just ate one of our biscuits, because y'all looking thirsty. Oh, that, Wendy's. Uh, close.
3: No, uh. it was, um, uh, not Chick-fil-A, but
1: Popeye's. Pope yes. Oh. Yes. yes. Um... This week saw the arrival of the great fast food fried chicken sandwich war of 2019.
2: See, I thought it was Wendy's because Wendy's is so sassy on Twitter that they, they were responding to Popeyes. Was well, it so it's Popeyes, this was Popeyes versus Popeyes
1: responding to Wendy's. So basically backstory. story um this week, Popeyes rolled out nationwide their uh, first ever fried chicken sandwich. Uh, it's been a hit. It's been selling out all over the country. I Wait. tried to get one this week and I could not. It's the first one. They've never had this one is the before. first one. I this is not the first that. one. Yeah, yeah, and so it led to this like fight on the internet between all these fast food brands just picking fights over whose sandwich is the best: Chick Fil A and Zaxby's and Shake Shack and Wendy's and Bojangles. Hot Pockets was tweeting about it, saying our chicken hot, hot pocket pockets. is technically a sandwich, <laughs> it's not a sandwich. But it was so absurd. Did y'all f- follow this this week? It was a bit much.
3: Slightly. You know, it's one of those phenomena where like if you're away from Twitter for like two hours uh-huh. and then you come back and it's like that that gift from community where Donald Glover walks in with a pizza fire. and everything's on fire. <laughs> That's how I felt about the great chicken sandwich war, which is like I was out of it for a minute. And I came back and I was like, why what are is we this? fighting? Why are we fighting?
1: Also, it's just like the one thing you don't have to fight over on the Internet is a chicken sandwich. <laughs> And yet, we did it all this week. I think you have to fight over everything on the internet. I think that is what the internet is.
3: <laughs> have have y'all tried
2: it? Have any of you? Well, I was gonna ask if you've had it. I, I never tried had to get before. one
1: last night. I show up to the Popeyes on the Bray around eleven thirty because it's open all night long, and I said if I go late, I can get one. The line is like twelve deep. I'm sitting there for deep? like half an hour. Thirty, and then finally, I open my window, and I'm like. Do they have the sandwich? And the person folks in line are like, they don't have it. We're just stuck in line. I couldn't get the sandwich. What? Anyway, uh, Melly, I think you got that point. I think I did. Okay. Okay. All right. Next quote. Ready? Mm-hmm. Here's what I would suggest. I would knock out this glacier just to get a more open concept plan and add a kitchen island. What are they talking about?
2: I want to say that's Donald Trump talking about buying Greenland, but that. Doesn't sound it like it is Greenland
1: the adjacent.
3: Yeah, Greenland. I'm gonna
1: give you Greenland. Okay. There you get the point. <laughs> this was Jonathan Scott. He's one half of HGTV's Property oh, Brothers. Okay. Uh, he was on Conan this week, uh, giving real estate advice to Donald Trump, who expressed a desire, seemingly out of the blue, to buy Greenland. Have y'all watched Greenland Gate this week?
2: The what you were just saying, Melanie. I walked away for a little bit, saw this, and went, no. (laughs) Let me check this URL. Does that say theonion.com? No? What?
3: The evolution of this was bonkers. It started with this Wall Street
1: Journal story. I remember that. That That was very speculative.
2: Super
3: And kind of, you know, a little, I mean, it was anonymously sourced, although clearly their reporting was spot on. And then it was first, like, the Trump administration being like, no, no, no. What are you talking about? And then it was like, well, what if he wanted to buy Greenland? Why is that crazy? And then (laughs) Trump tweets a picture of, like, Greenland, I promise I won't do this to you. And it was a Trump Trump tower. Tower. In Greenland. Greenland. And now it's an international incident. I mean, the evolution of this from like speculation to literally canceling a foreign trip over it. Yeah. Is headspace I don't it's the weirdest
2: diplomatic row that I know? It's it's serious, um, but I just think it's the most hilarious thing I've ever seen. I don't know how this is going to play out.
3: This is the best news story though, because I actually learned facts. Which, yeah. Did you know that the Greenland, U.S. has tried to buy Greenland twice before? before. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. And it's
3: in fact, I think, written into the constitution or some sort of documents that if Denmark wanted to offload Greenland, that it had to be through a vote of the pe- the oh, people goodness. on Greenland. Like there were actual mechanics <laughs> involved. Yeah. So at least we're all a little bit smarter because of this episode.
1: (laughs) You see the silver lining, don't you? (laughs) I think this game is tied. Ready for our last quote? Tiebreaker. Cool. All right. The quote is, Lower the thermostat setting to 78 degrees only when you are at home and need cooling.
2: I just did this because it was the. <laughs> I've heard this. I don't know if you've it. Said was it was like though. the U.S. Energy Service yeah, or something it's to like that. What? Energy what? There's
1: a. The, it's a little label on all Energy of your efficiency. air conditioning. Energy star. star. Yes. Energy Star. Okay. Yeah. Energy Star. Um, Energy Star is the uh, federal program overseen by the EPA and the Department of Energy, and uh, they issued some new official guidance in the last few days with some suggestions for how to keep your house cool or not cool enough. And people are mad about it. Basically, Energy Star said the recommended minimum temperatures should be 85 and 82 degrees. No. 85 when no. you're out of the house <laughs> and 82 when you're asleep.
2: When I'm asleep, absolutely not. Could 82? y'all ever no. do that? Truly never. No.
1: Like, never.
2: Although I did, I was a good consumer. Did I, you change your thermostat? I went onto my Nest app and changed everything. So at least when I'm out of the house, I am... It, it's not running. Because okay. it makes the most sense. Yeah. When I'm actually at home during the middle of the day, I have it set at like seventy eight now. Okay. Which is very it was very muggy. Yeah. And I wondered about this exactly yesterday. Thinking, What's your set What's to? Seventy two. Okay. I'm a 71
1: guy. I'm going to get, ha- we're going to get hate mail. I'm going to yeah. get hate mail. Oh my goodness. All right. Not me. Um, I'm
2: sitting drinking banana milk.
1: Yes. Speaking of banana milk, you win all the banana milk this week. <laughs> Enjoy <laughs> it. Both of you did great. Leo, you won. Congratulations. That concludes who said that. Now it's time to end the show as we always do. Every Friday, we ask our listeners to share with us the best thing that's happened to them all week. We encourage folks to brag. They always do. Anjali, hit the tape.
2: Hi Sam, this is Sarah in Decatur, Georgia. The best thing that happened to me all week was that I got a haircut. It's the first haircut I've had in like a year and a half. I got about eight inches taken off and my head is so much lighter and cooler and more manageable. Did I mention cooler? It's really hot down here. Okay, thanks, bye. Hey Sam, this is John in Silver Spring, Maryland. The best thing that happened to me this week is that my boyfriend, Stefan and I, finally decided to move in together.
3: The best thing that happened to me
0: this week is we're finally gonna close on our first house. Hi Sam, this is Alex from Michigan. The best thing that happened to me this week is being reunited with my amazing wife. We've spent the summer living apart as we've been moving from Somerville, Massachusetts to Ann Arbor, Michigan. And my wife is such an amazing employee that she gave her job five months notice. Hey
2: Sam, this is Ariel in Portland, Oregon, woo! Uh, Today is a special day, Friday, August 23rd, because me and my fellow classmates are graduating from our trade school where we will now be certified wind turbine technicians.
4: Hi Sam, this is Katie in LA. The best part of my week is after eight months of searching and two months of being unemployed, I finally got a job that I'm super excited for. To make this week even better, my mom also got a job after searching for six months. To celebrate, we got margaritas and went to Disneyland. Hi, this is Christopher from New Hampshire. And the best part of my week is going home from the hospital after five weeks in the hospital.
1: We love your show. Thanks for everything.
2: Have a great
4: weekend. Bye.
1: Christopher! I'm glad you got out, buddy. Way to go, Christopher. Yeah. Good job, Christopher. Thanks to all the folks we heard there. Sarah, John, Claire, Alex, Ariel, Katie, and Christopher. We listen to all of these that come in and they cheer us up every week. Keep them coming. If you want to share your best thing with me at any point throughout any week, just record the sound of your voice on your phone and email that file to me at samsanders at npr.org. samsanders at npr.org. All right. Time to go home. That's it. We did it. Taylor, take <laughs> us home. I want the re recording of this song to be like a goth version.
3: Ooh. Like Ooh. metal? Yeah. yeah. Wouldn't that be
1: fun to listen to? <laughs> Taylor, do it. Hurry, listening. It? Yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> Thanks to my guests this week Melanie Mason, staff writer at the LA Times covering 2020, and Leo Duran, producer and reporter for KPCC's Take Two. Glad y'all both were here. Thank you, too. This was really fun. Thank you, Taylor. (laughs) Yes, yes, for your discography, your body of work. All right. This week, the show was produced by Brent Bachman and Anjali Sastry, with help from Sophia Boyd. Our fearless editors are Jordana Hochman and Alex McCall. Special thanks to our engineer, Josh Newell. Our director of programming is Steve Nelson, and our big boss is NPR's senior VP of programming, Anya Grundman. Thanks for listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon. I mean, I get this idea
2: that milk should be dairy milk, but, I mean, people are smart. They can figure out that. People aren't always smart.
1: I have several times gotten played by the fake chicken in the store. It'll be like C-H-K apostrophe N. I buy it thinking it's oh, like, you like chicken like thighs. kids or yeah, something? Yeah, no, it's like soy. And how was it? Not chicken. It did not taste like chicken. <laughs> it not taste like chicken. getting back together.